expository preaching study one, we're actually working off of a, a little PowerPoint, and we'll briefly be there this morning, and probably maybe 15 minutes or so. Uh, I'll watch for the second half, but then what I'm really excited about is we're just gonna we're just gonna drag ourselves through about three different texts. One in the Psalms, one uh, in, a, in a narrative passage, uh, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And if we get time, we'll look at, at uh, one in an epistle. And what I think that will help you do, we're talking about this, you know, how this uh, this whole idea of, uh, of, of a lesson preparation, sermon preparation, uh, how that happens, we're talking about that in theory. Um, so what I'm going to do this morning is show you why that's so important uh, to know, even in your personal study. And, um, and I think you'll be, you'll be encouraged whenever, whenever you, uh, you get that. The reason we're doing this is not because we're training all of you to be pastors, although if the Lord would call you to do this, that'd be wonderful. The reason we're doing this is because this directly ties to hermeneutics. Every time I preach... I put my hermeneutics on display. Every time you share the Bible with somebody else, whether it's your coworker, whether it's an unsaved person, whether it's with your family, you also are putting your interpretation skills on display. They ought to be able to see how you got what you're saying from the passage, okay? Because you're not the authority. In fact, who cares what you think, right? Who cares what I think? <laughs> we only know what God says. So, you need to, to, they need to be able to, to, to see that. Um, it's also going to fundamentally change the way that you read your Bible. And um, in a very, very good way. I think, and I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more. I think one of the reasons believers, pay attention to my words, one of the reasons believers will say they don't enjoy reading the Bible or the Bible's hard or it's difficult is because they don't read it and understand it based on the way that, that we're talking about here. I say believer because one of the fundamental evidences that you have been saved is that you desire the sincere milk of the Word. And as I've said before, it's not the preacher's job or your Sunday school teacher's job. It's not your job as a parent or a, or a spouse to make your who your listener thirsty or hungry. If they're not thirsty or hungry, that's a hard issue. You can't do anything. You can spice it up all you want to. You may get an emotional response or get them to listen for a very short period of time. But if there is not a spiritual hunger, which comes from regeneration, being a new creation in Christ Jesus, then then you're just you're you're barking up the barking up the wrong tree. You need to go back to the go back to the gospel. However, there is regeneration. If there is spiritual life there, um, then, then the way in which you approach the Bible, what you get out of it, being able to understand what we're talking about will, will increase that, um, that appetite. Um, and I'll give you a little illustration, I think, will help you. Before we get there, I want you to open your Bibles to Song, but that's very familiar to you. I don't know if you just familiarity, but just hear the word this morning. 
choir director, according to Mahalat, a masculine of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands. These words sound familiar? Where do they sound familiar from? Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. There's New Testament there, according to the Old Testament here. Among other places, they preach twice. after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Preachers deep in condemnation. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge who eat up my people as though they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. He put them to shame because God had rejected them. All that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion, hope to the Messiah. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad.
of your word where you speak to us, to be able to have minds and faculties and ability to, to read that word and understand and, and then and interpret it and, and do so rightly. So I pray that even as we do that today, you would bless, help me to teach, help me to be helpful to these men. I only desire to serve you and to serve them. And um, I pray that what we learn today Preparing to preach is a, is a lifetime. You know, I think it's John MacArthur, my friend, who said, when someone asked him, How long did that sermon take to preach? He would say, um, You know, he's 73 now, you know, 73 years. And there is one sense in which that is true, in that all of the fabric of your life is woven into what you bring to the moment of preparation for a particular event. Um, but my process, um, in terms of the actual hard draft of it is um, to uh, sit down with my Bible as early in the week as I can. And I, I have a, a little routine that I essentially go through, and that is that I, and I'm working systematically in consecutively two passages of Scripture, so right now I'm in the 13th chapter of Mark, which is a really hard chapter. So I, I start off, I pray, help me. Pray all the way through, help me, help me, help me. And, um, and then I think to myself empty. So anything, anything at all that I think, I write down on paper. It's just like having a data dump of whatever's in my mind. And some of it may be completely extraneous, some of it may find the light of stay, stay through the process or not. But I don't care about it. Notes, quotes, anecdotes, things that are in mind, poems, things, anything at all. I write it all down. Uh, and sometimes as I work through that process, I might begin to get a flavor of where I'm going. I might begin, sometimes passages open up for you in that early stage so that you get some kind of structure in your mind. It may stay, if it does, it's a happy day. Uh, but from there, then I go to, having felt myself empty, which may not take very long, sometimes more than others, then I read myself full. So now I'm going to go and I'm going to read. Now that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to read commentaries in relationship to the text, but I might read something that I've stored away from before, where, for example, in Mark chapter 13, when you've got all these questions about the end of the age, uh, then I may read what others have said in part 
management system that I've developed over the years, where I store, I'm storing things all the time, not necessarily for immediate use, but for the future. So that when I reach for them, they're actually there. And they're there because I put them there. They're not there because I went looking for them on Tuesday because I needed them on Sunday. In other words, anything wrong with that. But that's the way I've done it. So I read myself full, and then I write myself clear. And I, the writing process for me is, is the key to clarity. It's the key to uh, being able to speak effectively with fluidity, with, with fluency. And because when you read what you've written down, you can then determine whether the syntax is, is there. You can determine whether you're actually moving between tenses in the space of a short paragraph. You may have uh, begun in the plural and gone into the singular and gone back to the plural, and, and it's the dog's breakfast. But you can only see that when you read it. <laughs> and if you don't write it to read it, and you assume that you're going to be able to process the information between your mind and your mouth, unless you're very, very good, you won't be 100% successful at that. Spurgeon said, write your sermons out for the first five years. I started to do that, and then I thought, well, why would I ever stop? Because I'm not really getting any better at this, and the task isn't any easier. <laughs> so I can operate from the back of an envelope with a three-point outline because I've done these things so many times, but it's not my MO. And the reason I do what I do now is out of a sense of discipline. So, you know, it's very possible for you to say, well, I've got this done, and so I've got a few points, you know, losing responsibility and something else, and then you just go off. And I listen to guys doing that, and, and many times I think they're doing their preparation while I'm listening. And they're actually, they're now trying to do the work that they should have been doing somewhere else, so that they can come and speak cogently. I'm speaking now without any preparation. And so I'm, I'm guilty of the very thing about which I'm speaking, and that is that I'm, I'm redirecting myself as I go along. And the key for me is in that. So uh, take yourself empty, read yourself full, write yourself clear, pray yourself hard, and then be yourself and forget yourself. And, and that last part of it is, it is crucial as well. Um, that, that sense of self-forgetfulness. And, and I don't mean as a posture, I mean as a So when I come to events like this, it all depends because sometimes they give me responsibilities and they tell me you have to do this, this, and this, then I have to go at it. If not, then my life is so busy that I will often reach back for something that I have used in another place that I think if I were to try it again, if you like, I can do a better job than I did before. And so um, that's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's for a special
preliminary work, it needs work into the process. And we were talking about um, how there are two sides to the two sides to the coin, two parts to the process. Um, one is the discovery part, um, the part where you're actually going to a passage of scripture. And you should be doing this when you're reading it. You're thinking, okay, what is this saying? Because you don't immediately go to what does this mean to me or how do I apply this in life, but what did God say? What's the meaning of this passage? That's the goal. Because what it meant then is what it means what it means now. And the only meaning is, is, is what God said you know, in the text. So we, we started with Ezra 10, study practice and then teach. You study the text, you put it into practice, and then you teach it. And what we're talking about now is how do you how do you teach it? So we went over to Nehemiah 8, you read the text, you explain the text, and then you apply the text. So the authority is in the Bible. So you read it and then you explain it and then you apply it. And that process for which we do that in a public setting is, is preaching, proclamation. Um if anyone tells you that there's a difference between teaching and preaching, I would say yes, but sometimes people take that too far. Um, preaching has a different aspect. Like what I do on Sunday morning is different from, like, say, what you get in a Sunday school class. There's still a proclamational aspect. Somebody's standing before you proclaiming something. Preaching has the idea of, of one person standing proclaiming Expressing God's truth on the heart of somebody else, tugging on their conscience, demanding that they hear what, what God said. But that obviously involves teaching as well. If, if you're looking at preaching only and there's no teaching aspect to it, then, then you've, got a, you've, got a major, you've got a major problem uh, on your hands. And so when I was talking before about many don't want to, to, to read their Bible, I, I think... A really good uh, uh, analogy of that or example has to do with with observing a mind versus mind. Okay, if you go to Beckley, West Virginia, you can take a tour of a of a, of a coal mine, a functioning coal mine. Um, pretend that's like a gold mine. So it'd be neat to go in and see how a gold mine works. I mean, probably the first time that you did that, you might even be enamored by all the different things that you see there. Wow, this is a, a really deep shaft. It's, it's amazing how they keep the, you know, how they keep the, you know, the, the thing from caving in. Uh, there's a there's a neat pulley system, uh, transportation system that brings the stuff out. But if all you ever did was just go into that mine and observed it, you know, you're looking after a while. Would probably lose its luster, right? You kind of have, have you know been there, done that. What about though, if the gold mine is yours and you're not observing it, but you actually get to dig the gold out of it and put the gold in your bank? Okay, I'm going to approach that gold mine completely different. I might be enamored and, and it's amazing. Wow, I wonder how much gold all these other guys get out of this that they get to put in their bank. That might be interesting to ponder, but now if it's my gold mine, I'm going to approach it differently. I think a lot of believers approach the Bible the first way. 
dismiss the Bible. It's God's Word. I mean, it's amazing. Look, look at all these, these wonderful structures and things. Isn't it neat how they, how they get the gold out of the Bible? Other people get the gold out of the Bible. When God doesn't want you to look at the Bible that much, it's your gold mine. And you get to keep whatever you dig. But then you need to know how to mine the gold. And the fact that we don't know some of even the basics of hermeneutics or what we're talking about, um, if you learn those, it'll change the way that you read the Bible. You'll go to it not just like, oh yeah, that, that's kind of neat, that's an interesting story about Jesus, to what is God communicating to me? And I have the tools actually to figure that out and then put that in my pocket and walk away with it. It'll change the way you listen to sermons. Have changed the way that, that, that you do a lot. And now, you know, you're you're reading it for yourself to be able to put it into practice and then also to be able to share with others. Um, you can only stare, stick so much gold in the bank. Um, it's fun to share the gold of God's Word with, um, with other people. Um, so, here's what I want to show you. Where would you start? going to develop a, um, a lesson, well, the first thing I would say is you choose you choose the, the text. Now, here's just a, a very basic example of, of what not to do, or why it's important to, to keep context. All right, what is this verse from? Psalm 2, 8 and 9. You ever heard this verse before? Ask of me, you know, Really give you the nations as an inheritance of your, as your possessions. Um, I've heard this verse before, sometimes used as a, uh, as a missions conference verse or an evangelistic verse. I've used this verse as a missions conference verse and an evangelistic verse before. So I'm guilty of the very thing that I'm saying here. But look at the rest of it. What does the Father... When he gives the sun the earth, what does this sun do? You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. And so the key there is context. So when you're picking the text, make sure that, that you understand the you understand the whole context. Um, begin your selection of verses from a text, not just anywhere. Original writer wrote material in units of thought, had beginnings and endings, so you, you follow those divisions. You remember my example of Grandpa's letter in the attic? You're not going to just parachute into page three or whatever and pull a paragraph out. You need to read the whole letter and understand what's going on. Um, so one of the options is a complete paragraph. Look for the divisions. Sometimes in the Bible will help you do that. And so... Hebrews 11, um, there's a natural division there. Another option is the, the complete story. So look for things like in, in the Gospel of Mark, look for, for little markers like immediately, immediately and then and the next day. I mean, when you're reading it, it's like little, it's like little vignettes. It's like little stories within a bigger story. So where does that begin and where does that end? That's a, that's a unit of thought. Now you're going to go back and, and dig down in that unit of thought to figure out what 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 God was what God was, was saying. 
Now, always remember the main character in the Bible is God, right? Jesus, God, yes. I mean, it is. I mean, it's ultimately pointing to Christ, but God. And so God is sharing in this story something about himself. He's sharing something about man. Because no temptation taking you to just as common as a man. So you're going to learn something by Abraham and his failures and that other thing. But the reason that God's telling the story about Abraham is to reveal something about himself. And then ultimately the Bible was written for his glory and redemption. And so it's going to connect some way to, to God redeeming people for himself. So God man redemption for Christ. And so what in that story is, is, does God want us to understand? He's put these individuals on the pages of Scripture like stage players, like characters in a movie, if you will, to reveal something about himself and then to teach us something about ourselves. Right? What the New Testament said, the Old Testament was written for our example. Well, ultimately, it's about, it's about God. All right? So complete story, and sometimes your study Bible will help you do that whenever you're, when you're studying. So once you pick the text that you're going to work through, then you then you study the study the text. And there's three different ways to do that. If you're advanced, if you have uh, the ability to understand the languages, that's great. As much is given, much is required. So if you had Bible courses or even seminary, God expects you to use it. In intermediate is inductive, and the beginner is asked to what, when, where, why, how. You know, your, your five W's and, and an H. I got the text, now I am getting into the text. I'm actually studying it for myself. And that's what you're learning to do. You're not, you're not, you don't want to be dependent on somebody else. I mean, you, you should not be suspect of your teachers. If you do, you're in the wrong church, right? I mean, but you're not totally dependent. They're not the authority. I mean, you you, you should have a, a pastor or a teacher that clearly communicates. Like, after you listen to them, you know that they that they love the word and that they you know they, they love you. They're clearly communicating. They're not the authority. I'm not trying to make you dependent on me. I'm trying to make you dependent upon the word. And so. And yet, there's gifts and talents that God has and God's given. So you study the text, all three levels, and then you can use commentaries to check yourself. Don't let somebody else do the work for you, but, but check yourself until you develop the, the skill. Then you're going to summarize what's the main idea. So when you read that section, here's where it starts. And immediately, they went beside the Sea of Galilee. And you know where it ends. The next day, Jesus and the disciples got in the boat. So now you've got your, your section that you're, that you're going to study. And you see the, the, the landscape. You know, here's the beginning and here's the end. Now you're going to deep dive into, into the passage. And you're going to start analyzing it. Most people give up. Or they actually mine the. <coughs> we, we heard the example of raking versus digging. You rake leaves, but you're not going to get you know, a lot. It's just going to take the surface off. Well, what is the goal of doing the analysis? What's the goal of actually studying the passage? 
What's the main idea? What's the big idea? What's God communicating here? There's, there may be four points or three points. Like when you listen to me preach, you know, I, I give you the main idea. And that's the proposition. You know, three ways God says to you know, love him, whatever. That's the main idea. You ought to be able to, when you listen to me preach or anybody, you ought to be able to, when, when we've read the text, by the time we're done, you go, oh, yeah, totally. That's, that's what that passage is about. It's about loving God. And I can clearly see God gave three ways in order to do that. Very clear. It's laid out in the text. Hermeneutics are on display. So what's your goal when you're, when you're reading the passage or studying the passage? What is the big idea that God's trying to communicate here? Um, so you summarize that um, in three words. Now, if you get lost here, don't worry about it. We're going to actually... Tyler said, uh, you ever seen a cat play with a ball of yarn? It's all over the place. That's how some people preach. <laughs> Help. I'm not do that. So you're going to summarize it in, you know, in three words. What's this passage about? It's about judgment. What does it say about judgment? What's God saying about judgment? How many things does God say about judgment? Well, there are three things that God says about judgment. Okay, are these good judgments or are these bad judgments? <coughs> Because there's both, right? We're commanded to discern and we're called not to condemn. So is it good judgments or bad judgments? And you're getting all this from the text. And you're not bringing anything to it. It's coming right out of the Bible itself. You're reading it you know, in that, in that way. And you don't need a seminary education to do that or Greek and Hebrew you know, to do that. Once you get to three words, then you can, you know, you can flesh it out. You can add adjectives and, and other things to it. So... Your big idea, your summary sentence, if you're teaching, should be accurate, universal, timeless, and edifying. To be accurate, obviously. You don't want your, your what you're saying, this passage is communicating in, in the big picture. You, know, you don't want that to contradict. What is the, the goal? It's to say what God says. You're, you have a borrowed authority. It's universal. You want to say it in a way that, that's not specific. Like if I preach a sermon in in Lynchburg, I ought to be able to preach that same sermon in Nepal. Now I may change the illustrations, but the, the main idea of that sermon ought to be true because it's true for a Nepali or, or, or Virginia. Because same God, right? Timeless. True 500 years ago. And then should also be also be edifying. Okay. I'm honor Dr. Paul Fink. Here's a poor example. This is how I used to preach. Okay? Point one, point two, a bunch of bull in between. <laughs> All right. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. Let's not practice developing sermons, but let's practice how you might be able to, to do this whole, where does it begin and where does it end? So we're going to do this with Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to try to...
question, what's the big idea? What's the main theme there? And then we're going to ask the question, how does God develop that? How many points are, are there that, that he's saying? Um, and then I'll show you how to convert that to you know, just to a basic outline. And the more you do this, the more you'll just start reading the Bible that way. Uh, and the more you'll walk away with nuggets of gold rather than just conserving the gold mine. It's great to observe the gold mine, but I want to dig. I want the gold. All right? So, Matthew chapter 7. Now I'll go ahead and give you the context. This is still part of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And let's read. Verse 1. Do not judge you'll not be judged. Hear that verse quoted all the time, right? Against Christians. <laughs> For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, how many of your Bibles have a new heading in verse 7? Almost all of them. That's good. So, that's because that's where the thought ends. It begins in verse 1, and it ends in verse 6. How do we know that? Read verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. Does it sound like there's a different theme there? It does. So, your study Bibles are great. They've given you giving you a little bit of, of, of help. So we know where the passage begins and ends, where the unit of thought, this part of the gold mine, where, where, where we walked in the main shaft, the main shaft of the Bible, and now we're, we're going to turn and dig in this specific area. Where does it begin and where does it end? It begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 6. So now we have the section that we're going to observe or that that we're going to, to dig in. And the first thing that we want to do is we want to develop a, a big idea. What's, what's this passage saying? So let's look at the passage itself. <clears throat> what do you think verse 1 through 5 is talking about? What's the theme? What do you hear over and over? So this, we're just brainstorming here. So just throw things out. Okay, judge. Very good. See anything else there? Self-judgment. Self-judgment. All right, specific kinds of judgment. Moral hypocrisy. Okay, hypocrisy. He uses a really strong word, hypocrite. You've heard these verses before, right? So the first thing that happened when I started reading those verses, without you even thinking, you started interpreting them. You started thinking, oh, don't cast the pearls before the swine. I've heard that. You may have had questions. I wonder what that actually means. I've heard that before, but I don't know what that means. Did your mind start automatically processing? You take those thoughts, 
your, your, your natural interpretations or your presuppositions, as they're called, and you catch them and you put them in a cage. They're there. You're going to have them. You can't not have them. But push them aside intentionally. And, and that's when he's talking about, you know, think myself empty. Okay? And now I'm going to read myself full. Alistair saying that? I only want to see. Now, those, what you, your, your first interpretation may be right. But you want to actually look at the text to see what it says and then test those ideas. Oh, I was right. Or, Whoa, I was really wrong. Because this is the authority. Right? Okay, so we're talking about the main idea. And the idea here is we're coming up with the clothesline. <clears throat> and then we're going to see how the passage develops. We're going to hang clothes off the clothesline. So this is the main idea. Anybody else? Judgments. We saw hypocrisy, a specific kind of judgment. It's all about the eyes. Okay. Some details about the eyes that's there. Avoiding a double standard. Okay, avoiding a double standard. Judging humility. Okay, judging humility. Back to the judging. So when I'm doing this, I've got a notepad or I've got my little, um, you know, uh, whatever I use to journal in. I'm writing all this stuff down. What do I see? It's like you're brainstorming, a, you know, an idea, and, and you're you're just pulling details out. You're making observations. You use the, you know, the common illustration. You're observing the fish. What do you see on the fish? There's fins, there's eyes, there's a tail, there's scales. And the more you look at that fish, the more detail that you'll see. So what do you think the main idea is, or the big idea? What is this section about? Do not judge so that you'll not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard and measure, it will be measured to you. It's all about judgment, isn't it? Three, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not notice the log that is your own eye? It's actually applying that judgment, right? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye? How do you see the speck unless you're actually doing some, some judging, some discerning? Let me take the speck out of your own eye. You hypocrite. That's someone who doesn't judge rightly or well. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under your feet and tear you to pieces. And I would say, if you're reading that, the first part of that sounds like judging because it repeats the word over and over. Then you get to verse 6 and you go, Is that judging? He's kind of stuck on that pearl and swine, and it actually is judging. I'll show you. So, our summary sentence, what would it be? Are these good judgments or bad judgments? I've got the word avoid. These are foolish judgments. How do I know this is negative? How do I know God's saying don't do something? Because it says don't judge, right? Why do you look? You hypocrite. You see how the negative is there? Something to avoid. Okay? Avoid judging this way. You're a hypocrite if you judge this way. Obviously, don't do that. Look at verse 6. Do not give. You see, it's all negative. So it's something to avoid. The Bible is telling us what to do. The Bible is telling us what not to do. And the Bible is also telling us what to think. 
who is God, who are we? Shapes our worldview. Well, when he tells us what to do, there's prohibition, don't do this, and there are commands. Do this, right? So this falls into the category of don't. Alright? So, we know to avoid foolish judgments. How many foolish judgments are in this passage? That's the big idea. The big idea has to do with foolish judgments. And you're to avoid it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. How many foolish judgments did Jesus talk about here? Summary sentence as a clothesline, your outline, and now you're gonna you're gonna hang the points off of that. If they don't connect, if what your your points say, they don't connect with the main idea. People should be able to go, oh yeah, that's the main idea, and each of the three points support that. Okay? So how would you convert that? Well, there's hypercritical judgment. Verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is being over judgmental. It's hyper judgmental. Now, whatever word you use there, that's that's the main idea that's, that's being communicated. <coughs> Don't be overly condemning. See that? This is the one you're probably very familiar with in this passage. There's hypocritical judgments. That's what verses 3 through 5 are about, right? Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and behold the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrites. Hypocritical judgments. I'm noticing everything in somebody else, and I'm not noticing the massive telephone pole, you know, that's sticking out of my own eye. I'm being able to see the splinter. Isn't it easy to see other people's sin and be blind in your own? Yeah. Jesus is warning against that. 
foolish judgment whenever you do that. What about the last one? Uncritical judgments. Look at verse 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before the swine. It's being uncritical, undiscerning. For they will trample them under their feet and tear them to pieces. Now, I'm not saying that you'll be able to, to just sit down in 15 minutes and read that and automatically, you know, this beautiful outline, hypercritical, hypocritical, you know, hypocritical. I mean, no. It takes practice. It takes skill. It takes work. But you should be able to sit down and go, here's where it starts. Here's where it stops. Here's the main idea. And I can see that Jesus is saying three different things here. What specifically is he saying? And then you go through the, the good process. Any questions about any of that? You, you jumped from the text to your hypercritical, hypocritical, uncritical. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't I didn't get through those words right away. I was more like, what is right. missing words from the text? Right. Okay. You know, there's there's a measurement of this. There is. You know. Yeah. You hear what Ed's saying? He's he's done this before. So we're talking about. Here is the here's the discovery part. I'm learning what this says. And then here's the sermonizing presentation part. I spend a lot of time doing what Ed's talking about, what we started with, and then he's saying we leaped to here are the words, the, 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 the fancy communicative words that you put in the sermon. Okay. So that's good. Open your Bibles to uh, let's do it again in verse 19. We won't use the, I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm 19. We won't use the, the outline part. Okay? How many of you read Psalm 19 before? than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey 
and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, teaching them that there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip you from hidden faults. Also, keep back your judgments from presumptuous sins, or your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I'll be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a song. Brainstorming, we're thinking ourselves empty, and um, what's the first thing that you thought of whenever I started reading this song? Creation. 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 Amen. Explain that. What else? Son, there's creation, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoices in the strong man to run his course, it's rising to one end of the heavens, creation, circuit to the other, there's nothing hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is short. We're still talking about creation. I Made mean, a switch, haven't we? What are we talking about now? We're talking about the Word of God. And all of the different adjectives
when, when David talks about creation, he talks about God in a certain way, and when he talks about the Word, he also uses a different, uses, uses something different. What's that? He gives an application. He does give an application. That's exactly right. Do you see anything different? Verses one through six and verse seven through through nine, as it relates to God, the, the word he uses looks like it changes because in seven also it's all caps for Lord. Exactly right. Verse one it just says God. Yeah, you just found a nugget. You're digging in the mine. Well, that has significance. You don't know it has significance when you're in this point. You're just making an observation. Wow, that's interesting. Verse 1, he says the glory of God, G-O-D. And then in verse 7, everything that has to do with the Bible, this section says L-O-R-D. See your Bible says capital L-O-R-D? L-O-R-D, 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 Lord, 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 Lord. A different word. Same God, different word. Notice that? I'm just writing it down. Is that important? Maybe, maybe not. It is. But I don't know that yet in the process. I'm just noting it's well, for time's sake, if, if you process that through, you're talking about <clears throat> creation and God communicating something in creation. He communicates <coughs> to everybody. General revelation. God's the God of all. Capital L-O-R-D is, is the name Yahweh. Anytime you see that in your Bible, it's the covenant name for God. It's, it's, it's Israel's God. The name that God's people, God's people use this name for the Lord because it's a covenant with them. And that says something about the special privilege that we have with the Bible. Yeah, the Bible's for everybody. But this is talking about what a believer does with it. And then or somebody said it's applied. That part is applied. What else do you see? Let's look at verse one through one through six. Heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring His handiwork. You notice the communication words? Where are the communication words there? Huh? Telling, telling, showing, declaring. That's the verb, right? God's doing something. Creation's doing something. What's it doing? It's telling. It's declaring. And it's the heavens that are doing it. The expanse that's doing that. What is it saying? What's it communicating? God's glory. Without words. Exactly right. Without words. Amen. And it's the works of his hands. His creation. Verse 2 is fascinating because you look at the words used there. It's not just hinting at the glory of God. It says, day after day, it pours out speech. Night after night, it reveals knowledge. So, in other words, it's, it's almost... Screaming, creation's almost screaming at the top of its lungs. Look at the Creator that created me. Amen. What is significant? So we know it's creation is communicating the glory of God. How is it communicating? What would you say, verse two? What's the emphasis in verse two? Now we're getting into how it communicates. 
verse 2 say, day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. What's the idea behind that? Yes, constantly. It's continuous. Day after day. Night after night. The communication is continuous. It's constant. The, the heavens don't just declare the glory of God in the middle of the night. They declare it in the middle of the day. Creation is constantly declaring God's glory. Now my mind immediately goes to Romans 1 because there's never a moment in time when creation is not screaming there's a God that you're not right with and you're not serving and you're not worshiping. So that's what's trying to communicate. Well, look at verse 3. It says some, something else about speech. There's no speech. There's no words where their voice is not heard. So it's continuous. What else is it saying? Their line has gone throughout all the earth. Their utterance is to the ends of the world. In them, the sun is in its hands of the bridegroom coming out of chamber. It rejoices as a strong man runs course. Strong man starts and ends the finish line. God set it in the heavens. It rises from one end and its circuit is to the other. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. What's the, what's the idea? There's no place. The universality. Exactly right. It's universal. Continuous and it's universal. It never stops, and there's there's no one that's without an excuse. It's universal. It's universal communication. You see that? There you go. If you're talking about the works of God, creation, communicating, and it's continuous and it's universal. Now, what does it say about the Bible? You look at verse seven. What do you notice in verse? Seven, eight, and nine. It's general observation. We already know that it's a different word for the Lord. Is there a pattern there? Different word is used to describe it. Okay. Perfect, pure, right. That's good. You notice what Ed's saying? Watch this. The law of the Lord is something. There's a declaration. The Bible is perfect. What it is. And then it talks about what it does. You see that? The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It converts the soul, it restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Declaration. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. You see that? Precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? It brings rejoicing to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, it lightens the eye. So I'm noticing the pattern there. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. Now, do things seem to change in verse 10? They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Pattern changes, right? No longer what it is and what it does. Now it's talking about it. It's, 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 it's saying something. So in my little study Bible, verse 7 through 9, it's talking about the, the ability or the, much more appropriate to say the rest of it, the attributes of the word. I like the ability because it's not just saying what it is, it's declaring what it does. So the ability of the word. This is the ability of the word of God. It's powerful, isn't it? How powerful is it? 
converts, it makes wise the simple, it brings rejoicing to the heart, and enlightens the eyes, it endures forever, it's righteous altogether. Powerful word about the Bible. So what changes in verse 10? They are, all of those things about the Bible, more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold, sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. What, what, what do you kind of hear there? What's it saying? It's like my response to Jesus. Yeah. And what kind of response is that? Of uh, the Bible. I've got to read the Bible again. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, using examples that people would understand, gold is a very valuable thing. But it's more desirable than gold. Do that. And live their entire lives pursuing money. But the Bible is way more desirable than that. It's sweeter than honey. It's appreciation. It's longing for it. It's appreciating it. The Bible's not just able. Appreciating He's, he's talking about how, how precious it is. I'm probably sketching here. Yeah, I, I was going for that general revelation is generally good. Specific revelation is perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, desiring gold, general revelation is good. Desiring honey, general revelation is good. But this is more desirable. Mm-hmm. More, yeah, more okay. Desirable. Mm. More efficacious yeah. for the changing man's yeah. hearts. Mm. I mean, the blessing that we have, we're in verse 7 through 14 after salvation. All mankind is in verses 1 through 6. Even an unsaved person gets the blessing of seeing God's glory in creation. Yeah, there's more going on here than I, than, than I can fathom. And in God's grace, He revealed it to us in a specific way. The thing is the blessing that you have having a copy of God's Word and being able to understand it. You know, another thing in verse 10 is that it's to be consumed. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Honey is to be consumed. Gold is to be used more than that. Is there a change in verse 11? Moreover, Alright, here's what it does. The ability of the word. Here's what it is. Here's what it does. Oh, I appreciate the Bible. It's more precious than gold and honey. Moreover, by them, the precepts, the fear, the commandments, the law, the testimony, the servant is warned, and in keeping them, there's great reward. Lament. Who can discern his errors? Equip me from hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. And I'll be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What's he doing there? What's he doing now? He went from what it does, it is what it does, to appreciating it. Now what's he talking about? Appreciating the Bible, appreciating the Word. It's nice to you individually. Yeah, it's, it's application. It's applying. It's 
almost your maturity level. The, the further up, the further down you read, the more mature. Yeah, Christian. Yeah, well, it's you're you're definitely drilling down. That's good. What the Bible is. A lot of people can can go. Oh yeah, I mean everybody says yeah, the Bible's important. It's God's word. Know what the Bible does. Here's what it does. Do you appreciate the Bible? You can appreciate appreciation of the truth is not application of the truth. So now David's applying, and here's the application of the, of the word. What's the word do? Warns your servant. Watch all these personal languages. L-O-R-D. Your servant is warned. This is relational, right? In them, keeping them there is great reward. You can discern his errors and quickly forget it all. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. I'm writing all this down. Why is it your servant twice there? Let them not rule over me. And I'll be blameless. I'll be quick to clear this great transgression. What's different about verse 14? May it happen to me. Huh? May it happen to me. It's a prayer, isn't it? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in whose sight? Nice went full circle. Bible's communication, what it is, here's what it does, I appreciate it, and now I'm going to apply it. It develops, it helps me discern, it warns me, it keeps me back from, from sins that, that I don't even know I'm committing. It helps me be blameless and acquitted from great transgression. say what the Bible says. And that's rich. I mean, that's where the richness is. The richness is not coming there and kind of seeing something and then launching it with your own ideas. Let it say what it says. That's the first half. And then if I was going to develop that into a sermon, I would say something like two ways God reveals himself to mankind. There's communication. Two parts. God's revealing himself. Mankind, and one would be through his works, and the other would be through his word. And then when I'm explaining that, I'm analyzing it, I'm illustrating it, explaining it, and then I'm applying it, I'm bringing out all those details. I'm showing in there, look, you're without excuse. You don't know Christ here today? You're without excuse. And God has given you a witness. You can't deny that there's a witness that's there. Because he says it's universal, and he says it's continuous. I don't want to talk about how precious the Bible is to a believer. I'm applying it in that way. Yep. I, like it. I like it because it's pure biblical theology, regardless of bias. Yeah. Mm. So it really mm. applies to everybody who mm. appreciates the Word of God. Mm. Yeah. So you don't have to try to filter through our bias to try to rethink this. Yeah. And it's pure sense. It's just pure biblical theology. Yeah. And it's just rich. That's what makes it so rich. Well, we could go to another, but we don't have we don't have time to do that. I think it's enough for today. Um, <laughs>
observation about what you see. Um, it won't come immediately. You may feel like you're in a fog. Just keep walking with all the lift. You're walking, you've been pleasing to the Lord. You're walking towards what He wants you to do. Um, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know it. You don't want to trust it. You want to trust the Bible. You can be enamored by the gold mine and think how wonderful it is. The only way you're going to put gold in your pocket tools and then start digging. One last thought about, I was thinking about digging the gold as a perfect illustration is that the gold we need changes us, not somebody else. Hmm. Hmm. So we don't dig for gold for someone else. We dig for gold for us. It changes us. Yeah. I think that relates well to the first passage we looked at as well. We can see our own fault on all the time. Yeah. Searching what it does. Yeah, we're, we're always, our, our flesh is defaulting towards fixing circumstances and others, but the Bible is designed to have a nugget to change you. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. We can't be beneficial to others until we get ourselves right. Hmm. Yeah. Study, practice, teach. Yeah. One thing that 
um, talking about getting the context right, one thing that Tim O'Shara taught me that was really helpful is, um, I guess at some point I must have asked him, Tim, how do you read or study the Bible? And he said, well, I read it. And, okay, well, then what? Well, I read it again. And uh, he said that um, it's not, uh, to, to study the Bible, we don't start with the, the going through it real deeply. We start with just reading over it, finding out the, the big picture. And he said, would it be too much to, like you're trying to study a, a part in a certain book, why not take the book, read through it 20 or 30 times? And he's, that was kind of a new concept for me. And uh, he said, then you, then you see how it all fits together, and then you can be much more equipped to start doing the, the deep study of a particular part of it. Yeah, going back to our gold mine example, it's your gold mine, okay? You've got to get the nuggets out to get them in your pocket. Are you going to, I mean, and you can go like, you know, oh, yeah, that's really neat, that's great. Yeah, oh, okay, the gold mine's good, now I'm on my, about my day, right? I mean, you would do that. You're like, where's the gold? I want the gold, you know? I've got my tools. And, you know, so if I don't have the tools, I can see it in the, in the wall. Maybe there's is there a nugget up under there. But, you know, scratch it out my fingernails? No, Ooh. tools, you know, tools. And then develop muscles. The swing of the axe, the pickaxe. And you get it out, and now you've got it, and then you're going to refine it. You're gonna, I mean, that's the idea, not just like, you know, going my jet. Yeah, I'm doing my devotions. I'm reading my daily crumbs or...